Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Road. Jonah Siegel in Seattle, Washington on a overcast, say that a lot, Tuesday morning. Uh, very happy to be joined this morning by Julie Stewart Binks, live from the Big Apple, which has uh, taken over the reins as the Corona Ground Zero in, the, in North America. Julie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's great to be coming to you live from the Wuhan of USA. It's the, it's the hot spot you want to be. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all jokes aside, it's obviously a really serious condition going on in the world, but we're trying, I mean, to do our best, like personally, I don't necessarily think we have all the great direction coming from the top down, if you want to say, but uh, you know, hopefully everyone can just kind of stay safe. And then this will, the quicker we do that, the quicker this stuff will be over with. But I don't think that's going to be anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Not kind of. It is totally bizarre. Um, if you take a step back and actually think about it, how strange this life we're living in. Like, my, mm-hmm. I'm an avid Twitter user, as, as are you, I see. And my tweets are either about, you know, the world... Uh, the, the sky falling in the world on one sense, the anti-Trump or pro-Trump world, and then the sports world is all, you know, let's rewatch a game from 25 years ago, plus poll questions about who are the top five of whatever it is that's ever happened to you in your life. Um, I, I said to my kids last night, I don't think you quite understand how big this is. Like, this is one of the things in your life that 100 years from now will be in history, but well, in taught in history courses because they won't have books anymore, but this is, uh, it's pretty massive. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And and I think you summed it up there really well in terms of like what social media discusses, because I've even been talking with some of my friends in sports media and we're like, you know, you, you try to keep some sort of semblance of your normal life. Like I host a show. Um, some of my other friends and I, we were working on a show that we wanted to do on our own. So we're like, okay, we'll keep going with all this stuff. And then you have those moments you're like, whoa, like we're all doing this from home. We're having these conference calls. We're doing all this because we can't go outside. Like we can't even be around people because we have this insane virus that is like killing, you know, tens and thousands of people around the world. And you're like, wow, this is, this is a lot to take on. And I kind of tweeted about it the other day where like people have to understand that there are serious mental health implications with this kind of thing. Like you can't just like pick up and be like, all right, well, I guess I'll just work from home now. It's like, wow, no, we're like our, the, any kind of normalcy that we had or like any kind of routine or world that we know it as or the feeling of our parents being healthy, our friends being healthy is, is thrown out the window. And so I, well, I kind of want my, you know, my bosses to feel that way when they talk about, talk to us, like have some sort of understanding that not everyone's just going to be like picking up and being cheery every day. Like there are going to be times where you're dealing with anxiety or dealing with depression, like all that stuff is already always real but more people are going to be dealing with it right now so um yeah it is it is just a really odd time and i think uh i was on air with sportsnet new york when all this stuff really just unraveled with first of all you know it was it was fans not being able to watch march madness in the stadiums during this is one day to then rudy gobert contracting the virus and then the whole league being shut down and i said it on air i was like you know when the NBA comes back will be the least of our worries in three weeks in a month, because 
first of all, people are worried more so about like, what does this mean for my family? How are my kids going to get schooled? How am I going to pay my bills? Like people don't, sports is then very much so an entertainment avenue. And while we do care about it, and it is a livelihood for many people, we're looking at our basic needs and interests right now. And we want to keep people alive. And at this time that we're recording this, I mean, there is not a sense of seriousness going on in our country where, you know, our, our president has said, you know, in 14 days, go back to normal. In 14 days, we can't go back to normal. Like that's only just going to make this spread go longer and, and more widespread and exponential. And then we're just going to be dealing with this for years. Like this isn't going to be something that goes away overnight. And so that's the really scary thing. And yeah, I mentioned before we were doing this, I'm moving in a couple of days. Well, like this is the worst time to move. Am I even going to be able to move in a day or two if we're in a mandatory lockdown? Like, is it safe? So there's just every little detail of your life is is affected. And and you know, I'll be curious to see like what doesn't exist when we come back. Like, what things do we have now or that we knew in media and in sports that don't return because we realize we don't need them. You know, for me, my studio, my the shows I work on, we work in a a WeWork office. It's, you know, a brand of um, it's a chain where people can kind of come together and you you rent out office space. Well, if we don't need office space, we can figure out we can do everything on our own. Are we? Do we really need to to rent like a room for us all to be in? No, probably not. Are people going to be going out to bars and watching games as much? Sure, we need that that community with sports, but like. Are people going to have an odd adverse reaction to being close to people, right? Like I think about these things all the time in terms of what will stay and well, what will we learn, what will change. So uh, not to get too existential, but I think we're going to see some significant changes within sports. Yeah, I mean, if you take a step back and take a deep breath, like September 11th was a tragedy. And I bring the two together, but I'm not comparing them. I want to be perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. But we still you know, you still have to take your shoes off at the airport. You still can't take a bottle of water through security. Um, right. There will be, yeah, changes. very true. There will be changes. We just don't know quite yet what they are. I was in the grocery store a couple of days ago and there was a guy about 50 feet in front of me walking towards me and out of nowhere he sneezed. And like, oh. I, can only, I can only imagine the death stare <laughs> I gave him as I turned I and started walking the other way. Like, no, he didn't have three heads, but I certainly treated him like he did. So, yeah, well, I mean, that would be the response of a lot of people right now, too, because we've been told just how contagious this is. And, and you kind of have, you think more about your cleanliness and and, and your spread of germs and, and how how kind of, you know, you, how, how clean you are and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of things are going to be changed. I'm not sure what, but I think a lot. So could not be happier uh, or more excited to have you here. I mean, this is this is actually really funny. There are numerous ways our, our lives have intersected and uh you and i actually have met once i'll get there in a minute but uh, <laughs> both born in toronto um take it to the other end both currently living in the united states um both donned the green jacket of high school you were at havergal college uh i went to crescent uh, long before you oh, did. Nice. but um you then, uh, you went off to Queens in, in Kingston, which always mm-hmm. throws my American friends off. You have a university called, oh, yeah. in a city called, Kingston. <laughs> um, and, uh, then you went to city, city university of London. And then what, when did you graduate university? Uh, I graduated Queens in 2009. 
and, and from London the year after, and then you immediately yeah. got hired by the CBC. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It's a funny trajectory. Finished Queens, and I'd done a double degree in Zed because out of high school, I don't have a thing. Okay, I best classes. I'm going to do a double degree, and which I'm glad I did because it went really well for me. But and I psychology for quite a while I realized I really enjoyed my mom was my mom was a radio reporter in Canada for the CBC and she, you should try and she also went to Queen she a volunteer for CF radio station this is in my second year and I thought sure right so and they're like we don't have this for volunteers so I thought well I guess I'll try the TV station again I hadn't even really thought about media at all and as soon as I got wait we have a number of interviews we could use this week and so okay did my first interview which was like at the coffee house and I just I had the time ever love adrenaline and sort of the the performance aspect of it also just you know the, the journalistic aspect of trying to figure out you know what's the story what are we doing what do we need to get out of this and I thought you know what I really want to pursue this more and then of course, I took it to sports because I was doing phys ed and I just started kind of being carving out a niche of being the sports reporter at the station that didn't ever really have any of that. And so I just kept doing that for fun and had, you know, created a demo reel, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then decided to apply to do my master's. And I really wanted to go to Columbia University. That had been like my goal. And I got on, I got on the waiting list, which my other friend who, who also applied, she got on it too. And we we're like, yeah, you know what? They kind of are looking for people with a bit more uh, life experience. They're not looking for people right out of university. So we didn't take it too hard, but we all, me and her, her name's Heather Christie. We also applied to City University because it was a, a nine month intensive master's and you got to do three international internships. And I thought, you know what? Every one of my my peers and my colleagues is going to Ryerson, going to Western, and I need to just I have to separate myself from them. I have to get a different type of experience if I'm going to be any different from any other woman or man who's doing this. And so went to City University and was in a program that was, it was an international journalism program. So there were 39 different countries represented in my class, which was already just such an incredible experience because I'd been pretty much sheltered my entire life growing up in North Toronto. As you mentioned, I went to a private girls school, went to a, you know, a pretty Toronto, the, you know, largely white university in Queens university. And then, okay, I go and I'm in class with people from Gaza, from Russia, uh, you know, Chile, uh, Iceland, all over the world. And it really opened up my eyes so much. I remember I asked my friend Adwan, I was like, oh, are you going home for Christmas? He's like, no, Julie, I can't go home for Christmas. I live in Gaza. Also, I'm not Christian. And I was like, okay, well, this is great. <laughs> like I learned, I learned a lot about just even how I interacted with people, but it was, it was such a great experience. And I got to intern at Sky News and I had two really cool experiences there where because of my journalism program, we were offered so many great networking events. And that's, you know, London is just is full of that activity. So we're at the Frontline Club one night for a CNN event. And I actually got to meet Julian Assange. Wow. This was like weeks before he released sort of his first batch of Afghan war logs. And I remember, I mean, he was an odd guy. 
and we we're all kind of like, oh, there's the WikiLeaks creator. And, you know, one of my, my friends ended up talking with him for quite a while. We all got his business card. And then, and he was even asking her, oh, I want to do a press conference here at the Frontline Club on Monday. You know, none of us knew anything. And that was when everything dropped. So when I was at Sky News, I ended up being able to provide them with a contact for Julian Assange. So I got offered a job just from that moment. <laughs> um, it's all, you know what it's like, right? It's, it's, it's who you know, and it's like being the right place at the right time. And just being able to like to dig deep and figure out a way to make something work. So that was, that was pretty cool. But the way I made it back to England or to uh, sorry, Canada was I interned at C uh, CDC's London bureau. And this was during when a big volcano in Iceland erupted. And I don't know if you remember, there's like a ton of smoke, like no one could fly. So London was in a spot where we, we had a number of different international reporters sort of stationed there. But as an intern, I ended up having to do a lot of the interviews with, you know, whoever around the whole country. And it was, it, it was really, it was really interesting. And at the same time, then it was the British parliamentary election. And Peter Mansbridge came to town and I was like, can I please help him? Like, you know, he's yep. the, the godfather of news in Canada. And I wasn't, they didn't want to give interns like a chance to, you know, one got you know, no one got any preferential treatment. So I actually didn't get to, to help him with anything. But he did say, oh, you know, what do you want to work on? I said, sports. I really want to work at Hockey Night in Canada. And so he said, well, let me set you up in a meeting with um, Kathy Broderick, who was in charge of the shot listers and, and, you know, different production people. And so that's when I, I decided to come back to Canada because I thought, you know, I'm getting Peter Mansbridge is helping me get an interview at Hockey Night in Canada. I'm already being told my accent is the wrong accent to be um, on air in the UK, which was, I was told to get elocution lessons to change my accent to a British accent, which was odd. And I didn't want to start my career that way. So I was happy they were, I was happy they were honest with me. Um, so I came back, yeah. And then I just, I ended up shot listing at Hockey Night in Canada. And while at the same time, uh, uh, volunteering at TV Kojiko, in Kingston and in Niagara and I lived at my grandma's retirement residence with her when I take the bus down go do some volunteer reporting stay there and come back and kind of work my one shift on a Saturday night let's just say I wasn't making a whole lot of money at that time but I got great experience Ted I mean that's awesome and then um I mean listen you have to take a step back, at least I hope you do, or did then, and I certainly hope you do now, you can take a step back. Your first real gig was on Hockey Night in Canada. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, today, certainly people would literally, uh, figuratively and literally kill for something like that. And then you get a year, you know, a year later, you're, you're, you're running the desk for Fox, for Fox's uh, uh, soccer channel. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, and Hockey Night in Canada was, was so great and being a in production was, was such a, a mind-blowing experience, learned so much behind the scenes. But I always remember being told when I was doing my master's, like, if you want to be on TV, you have to go be on TV. You can't just like try to work your way up through behind the scenes jobs to then doing that. Like, if you want to be a producer, that's great to do that avenue. If you want to be on air, you can't just like think you're going to work there long enough and someone will give you an opportunity. Like, that doesn't happen, really. So. Uh, that's why I was doing TV Kojiko. And at the same time, I was applying to jobs all over the country. I sent out 40 packages with like my demos, which luckily I had a lot of, 
I had a lot of the tape, um, I really literally tape back then, I guess, uh, from while I was in England, whether it was I interned at the score, CBC London, like a bunch of little good things that I could show. I sent them out across the country from the Northwest Territories, the Yukon to Prince Edward Island. And I got one response and it was from Charlottetown that said, thank you so much for applying, but we have no opportunities. And I was like, great. Well, someone at least received it. Nothing from anyone else until I had seen this posting for Fox Soccer Report and I had applied to it, never got anything. And then randomly they reached out like a couple months later and said, hey, would you do a screen test for us at Global? I'm so excited, right? And I, I prepared for it like no other did it. I was, you know, I, I knew soccer better than everyone else because I was immersed in it in England and, and I covered it and followed it so much that, well, you know, maybe I wasn't the best reporter or anchor at that moment. I sort of had a little bit of just like, okay, you know this better than other people. Other people might be trying to get a job in hockey or football or whatnot. And, and if you can show you do this, then you get the job in that. So I ended up getting that job. But then so I moved to Winnipeg and then ended up mostly being behind the scenes again. I was, a, I was writing scripts for the anchors and editing a lot of highlight reels, which was not my job description. And that's kind of how that happens sometimes. And my boss said, well, you know, we do have a lot of really strong on-air people. So <laughs> it's going to take a while for you to kind of crack to get on. So I was there and I realized I wasn't going to get any on air opportunities. And so I had, I saw an opening at CTV Regina and I had already sent them my tapes before and I reached out to them and I, I applied for it. And they said, well, you know, we saw your stuff come through before, meaning you do want to be here. Cause not a lot of people want to go to Saskatchewan. And I said, yeah, I really want this job. I know it doesn't look great that I've only been in Winnipeg for four months, but I came here for an on-air job and it isn't an on-air job. It's a, it's a production job. And so I got the job in Regina. Uh, Fox Soccer Report didn't, you know, they, no one was miffed about me leaving. They totally understood. And that was, that was good because you don't want to get a bad rep when you first start. And then I just went to Regina and, and I, I learned so much there. I had, it was tough, really, really tough because you're working all the time you're the one-man band but you are getting incredible experience so I made my way I, I made my way around the prairies and and I'm glad I did because I think that people especially I see this now like I people want to see you pay your dues and they want to see you get experience and no one wants to see people get it easy because it's really really hard to make it so I think while I also learned a lot I gained respect from other people in the industry and, and let's be honest you fulfilled every adolescent's adolescent boy's dream by saying that you lived and worked in Regina. I mean, <laughs> well, my, everyone in the States makes fun of that whenever I say that. So you know how it is. <laughs> so, so you're there for a bit and then, uh, you head to the, you head to Hollywood. Is that right? You ended up in, in, uh, in LA doing uh, Fox sports soccer again. Uh, yeah, and, and just so people are aware, it didn't just sort of happen overnight. Like, I was in Regina for two years. I had even applied to jobs in in Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Barrie, and I didn't even get calls back for Winnipeg or Barrie. And I, I was pretty disappointed because I thought I had – I thought I was talented enough to make it to a little bit of a bigger market than that. And it was sort of – it was tough. But um, I did a documentary on Ryan Murray, who is an NHL player who lived like minutes from our station. And 
I ended up working really close with his agent, Rick Vallette from Octagon. And Rick was like, you know, we think you're pretty, you're really good at this and you could be working in the States. We want to introduce you to our sort of entertainment lawyer or entertainment agent from Octagon, which was uh, John Ferreter, who ended up being my manager. And he told me, you know, come fly yourself down to LA, get yourself a hotel. You know, I'm making like $30,000 at this time, Canadian. I don't think I can afford anything at this point, but I was like, all right. And he set me up meetings with Fox Sports 1, with KTLA, with Fox 11, with NBC4, like every every station, Access Hollywood in LA. You know, I'm, I was, I was shell-shocked going down there. But as soon as I went to FS1, like I got a really great warm vibe from all of them, which was shocking because, you know, I'm coming from a really tiny station. And they were like, you know, we've, we've, uh, oh, do you know Jay and Dan? I said, of course I know Jay and Dan. Like, I'm obsessed with them. I love their humor. I love everything about them. They're like, yeah, well, we've been recording them. And, and we think that, you know, they're, they'd be great here. And I was like, wow, this is going to be huge. And so I left. I, end, I, you know, I left LA. I ended up sending them more information. And I ended up going down for an audition. After I did the audition, I was like, you know what? That was great, but don't even think twice about it. There's no way in hell you got that job. And then like three weeks later, I remember telling my manager, I'm like, you know, let's, I'm going to try to reach out to Sportsnet, see if I can go in for a screen test. He's like, do you want to do that? Or do you want to move to LA and work at Fox Sports 1? And I was like, what? He's like, you got the job. I'm like, what? How? Like, <laughs> like what did you do? You know, like, did, did, like they obviously made a mistake you know but I also do realize at the time if you're making thirty thousand dollars in Canada literally anything above that in America is going to be what you're going to take and I'm not saying I didn't make a lot of money but you know now knowing the market here they got me at a good price let's just say um but it was great and it was it was it was so shocking it was life-changing and uh it was the best experience ever getting to, to go to LA and start that network yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Um, it, it is really refreshing to hear somebody appreciate the school of hard knocks and, and, and paying their dues. Um, one of my passions, I can't, I can't tell you why, I mean, mostly because part of what I do with torontosportsmedia.com is cover the changes in, in varying uh, landscapes in sports media. You know, there's so many layoffs and changes that it, I, I find it really important that uh, companies are still hiring and doing the things they need to do. So I get asked a lot by younger people, you know, my advice, like I'm some expert. Uh, and I keep saying like, send your resumes out and you have to be prepared to go anywhere and do anything. And, mm-hmm. and you are really, uh, you're, you're really proof that, that it pays. I mean, it's awesome. Seriously. Like I, that's a really great story. So, so you're well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Cause I will tell you one little thing. It's just like, I had a number of people say, wow, it's, you know, really give you props for going out to Regina and Winnipeg and and putting in all that time. Like I could never leave Toronto. And I was like, you have to leave Toronto. You can't think that you're just going to look at how strong those people that are on there now, no one's moving. It's like like Tetris. Like you have to go, you have to go out of Toronto if you want to come back or else you're just going to be, you're just going to be sitting in the same spot. So, and a lot of those people still are sitting in that same spot. So I always tell people go, you know, if it's, if it's going to the Yukon and getting paid $15,000 a year to do a play-by-play job, do it. If that's what you want to do and figure out a way to like bartend on the side or whatever, but that will pay off in the long run. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to dip my toe in into the pool, the dangerous pool a little bit. 
But I think it's even more important and more remarkable as, as, a, as a woman because uh, you're an attractive woman and be very easy for a lot of people to say she just got hired for her looks. Uh, but you're someone who has absolutely paid your dues. Um, you know, the equivalent, you know, I think of, and I don't want to pick on any states, but, you know, the equivalent of what you did is moving from New York City to take a weather gig in Fargo, North Dakota. And, uh, <laughs> and moving, no, it is. And, and uh, that is very respectable. And I think uh, that is a, a big feather in your hat. And I think it's a really strong message. Uh, especially in a, in a profession where it has been more challenging for women to get the type of respect that they deserve. Uh, and, and kudos to you. I think it's really fantastic. No, that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. So, so, you, so, so you get to do a lot of things. Um, you do some Olympics in Sochi, and we'll talk about that <laughs> later. You do the MLS All-Star Game. Um, you cover, you know, you become Fox's face almost uh, of, of soccer. Am I wrong? Like at some point, did you not do some stuff with the Anaheim Ducks? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Like when I was there, I was hired as a news update anchor, which was, you know, every 20, 30 minutes, we would do updates into the programming. And then with the new network, right, like there's new things happening. And they were starting, they were told they had like Fox Soccer Report went dark and Fox Soccer Channel, or no, sorry. Yeah, Fox Soccer Channel went dark and FS1 sort of took on all the soccer. And they had to start a soccer daily show within like two weeks. And my friend Ryan Field, who now is an anchor at WABC in New York, he was like, hey, you know, Julia, I'm being, I'm being auditioned for this soccer show. Uh, and like, it's great, but like, I don't really, you know, soccer's not really my thing. And I don't want to be taken out of the mix for like baseball or football. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess if you're going to be the host of a soccer show, like you can't, that's, you got to really like it. Right. And so he ended up, they offered it to him and he didn't want it. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I'd gladly be auditioned for that. So I did, I auditioned for it and, you know, <laughs> anchoring a national show wasn't really in my background at that moment, but I did know the sport. So it was, I got the job and it was a, I got it because there was no one else at that moment that really could do that. And it was funny because all my friends at Fox soccer channel saw their channel. It's not funny. It was, it was, it was, you know, ironic, they saw their channel go off air. And then somehow the, the girl that used to write their scripts and edit highlight packages was now the face of the new channel. And so uh, they were all very nice. And, and, you know, they congratulated me and whatnot, but it was deep learning curve for me. And I remember I would hold on to the anchor desk for dear life whenever we would come on air live, because I was just like, Oh my gosh, like how did I end up in this position right now? But it was it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun on the show. It didn't get it didn't stay on air long because if you know, like with the network starting, especially a couple years ago, there were some really high expectations that we would have really, really good ratings off the off the bat and we didn't. We were only averaging like uh, you know, on a good day, like maybe 60, 70,000 people, which at the time you'd, you know, now you'd say that's fine. We'll just wait it out. But they canceled that show. They canceled a lot of shows at FS1 when I was there, but then, you know, you get, you can't, you get canceled on that show. You end up doing, okay, we want you to do sideline reporting for MLS. We want you to do the Olympics. And you just, you had to be careful. You don't want to come across as too ambitious, which sometimes I know executives said I was, but in the same vein, if there are opportunities and you don't say you want to do them, then you're an idiot for not 
you know, putting your hand up. So it was the best time of my life working at Fox Sports One. I have you know, very, very strong connections and friendships with everyone who's still there. I, I loved it. It was one of those times in my life that like I only have positive feelings about. So um, yeah, I was really lucky to get it. So, but did, when you were there, were you doing stuff with the Ducks as well? Yeah, sorry to answer, to answer your actual question. Uh, <laughs> at the time, on the weekends, Patrick O'Neill, who hosts the Kings games, like he was doing uh, college football updates. They asked me to fill in for him on the weekends for the Kings, and I was ecstatic. You know, like that's what I wanted. I wanted to do hockey, and when I got there, they were like, can you kind of forget about that hockey thing you like? Like, we don't really, you know, hockey's not like a big thing in the States. And I was kind of like, ah, this sucks. Like, this is what I love, hockey so much. So, but ironically, uh, so I did the Ducks or Kings filled in for about a year. And then the next year, the Ducks had hired a woman um, and she was supposed to do, she was supposed to do the job, but she, her mom got sick and, uh, they ended up asking me, can you fill in for three games? And I was like, sure, I'd love to. I can easily do it right now. Like I don't need any prep or shadow anyone or anything. So I did the three games and then I just sort of like was on a game to game basis of, okay, well, you know, our, the person we hired can't yet. So can you do the next month? I was like, yes, yes. And then we ended up uh, saying to this, this woman, like, okay, can you, have you come this year we're going to just have the remainder of the year which I know was tough for her but I told her looking up and you your mom needs you right now and so then I ended up though they asked me to come back the next year so and they didn't ask her like I felt really bad that that happened so I ended up doing the next year and then I ended up doing another year after that but I was also working at FS1 too and it was great we had a great tv crew we had the Ducks were a fun organization to to work with and you know it's like you always kind of want to travel you want to do that whole traveling reporter thing for a bit in your life but it's it's hard to keep that up forever so you were working with the illustrious john allers is that right oh yeah johnny allers he was he was uh quite the character and uh we had just the best time him brian hayward um bob sipwich our director mike levy kent French. We had, we had just the best time together. I miss them a lot. So I, uh, I, I worked another intersection, if you will. I worked with John Allers back when he was with the Detroit Vipers. Ah, wow. Okay. That is a, that is a, a deep cut there. <laughs> all right. So, so uh, you, you leave all as well. And then you take the gig at the worldwide leader. How did that all happen? Yeah, it's kind of a, kind of odd um I mean at the time it's very well documented that Fox Sports 1 hired Jamie Horowitz from who had been previously at NBC and then ESPN to you know come around the network and and, and sort of take charge and and he started a number of different show, studio shows and you know I was a news update reporter and I kind of saw I saw the writing on the wall that I wasn't necessarily one of Jamie's people let's just say and so when you sort of see that, you're like, yeah, I don't necessarily know how much of a future I'm going to have here. So I had talked with ESPN. They had been looking for a sideline reporter for MLS. And it was just a one-year deal. But I decided to take it. And at the same time, the Ducks originally said that they would allow me to do both. 
because it was a Fox entity, right, for the Ducks. They said, yeah, well, you know, you can do both. But then they decided because they had previously, I guess, Fox Sports regionals in previous years had not allowed people to do both ESPN and that and Fox, they changed their minds. So that's why I ended with the Ducks was they just didn't want to be then associated with ESPN or share me, I guess, in a way. But anyway, uh, it was time to move on and do a different, have a different experience anyway. So I went to ESPN and did that for a year, did MLS and did uh, some college football, which I was very fortunate to be able to get on four games, two of them with LSU, which was really neat. And I cultivated a strong relationship with people there. And then I also got to do some in-studio NHL breakdown playoff stuff because I was in Bristol for a, for sort of an interview seminar. So it was, it was you know, a very fast sort of year, but I got to do, um, got to do a lot there. And that that's something I I really look formally back on. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's uh, it it was and is you know it carries that reputation, and uh, you got to do some really cool things there. I mean, as far as I understand, you were the first female reporter to call two straight MLS Cups with two different networks, both Fox and ESPN. I mean, um, was was that the year that uh, of the snowball that the uh, TFC and, and the Sounders played? Were you with ESPN then? Uh, yeah, it was, I did both of those games, um, TFC and Seattle, like back to back, ironically, I ended up doing the exact same final, which was neat. And then the fact that they played last year, I was like, I need to be on the sideline for this or something. It was so odd, but, um, was it yeah, two, it, that was, was 2017 was the one in Toronto where it snowed and it went into a shootout. Is that, is that the right year? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't really snow hard. I would say in the it was in the second leg of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals where it was like raining crazy, and that was when Toronto FC had like a crazy comeback, and that was when they won. But I don't remember it snowing. I remember being very very cold because I did I did a lot of reports on the weather, and I contacted local meteorologists from CBC to help me with that. So that's so you learn sideline reporting about everything else in the world. So so that. Um, that weekend in Toronto was our uh, our final connection. We actually met. There was a the night or two nights before the game. There was a soccer event, I believe, at the Ontario Art Gallery. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And, I remember that uh, through a mutual contact who's with Major League Soccer. We met at that event. Clearly, uh, a forgettable moment. But uh, I did meet you that night. Uh, uh, over, I think we met in line at the bar, actually, which is. Uh, well, that sounds about right. Um, but I also wouldn't, I wouldn't take it, take any offense to that as a, realizing my memory is, is at, at the rate of a 65 year old with early onset Alzheimer's, which I'm really trying to work on right now. Um, not to joke about that, but you know, and I actually just watched a great kind of a cute documentary on memory and I'm like, okay, we need to do some more, need to do some more meditating and some games and stuff because then, then I'd remember that we met then. So, oh, um, <laughs> So you end up leaving ESPN, you go to Barstool Sports, um, you host uh, Barstool Breakfast, and uh, it looks like you were there for about a year, year and a half, and... Uh, um, actually, I'm just going to stop you there for a second, just come, first of all, like, uh, that's sort of a, I never really left ESPN, it's sort of a misconception, because okay. the company I worked for illustrated it, that I was, I was working... Uh, that I was leaving, which I wasn't. I, I, you know, if, if you, everyone knows if you're working sometimes a 
sideline job that's not necessarily, um, you know, a full-time job, it's very difficult to, uh, it's difficult to make money. So I was offered a job that, that really gave me the, the financial security I needed. And, and at the time, it was something that was agreed upon by my bosses at ESPN. They understood they couldn't make me full-time. So they said, you can take this job. And then I went to Barstool and like a lot of people at the time, Barstool, everyone thought Barstool was sort of going to be, you know, this really, the next big thing in terms of, of what media, people, media companies would want to partner with, like ESPN was going to have a show with them. And I do think that PFT and Big Cat are, are really incredible talents. And I feel bad that their show canceled, but I do understand why ESPN didn't do it with them. So uh, I think, I think ESPN and myself, perhaps made a mistake by going to um, deciding to partner with a company and not necessarily share the same values as us. And I've been open about that. It, you know, I went there for not long. I was there for eight months and I, I hosted a morning show called Barstool Breakfast, as you mentioned. And I had gone to do a college football tailgate show, which I did with Pat McAfee and Dave Portnoy for a couple weekends on Facebook, but then they wanted something a bit different. So it ended up ending. So, but I mean, you know, I've, I've spoken about it before. I just, it wasn't the right fit for me. And it, and I understand why they've been successful and why they've been, you know, they have a, a unique brand of, of humor and it's fun and, and it's funny, but not everything was, was sort of in my vein of what I feel comfortable with. So learn that. And I think it's good when you can, when you can identify when you don't feel comfortable somewhere and you make the decision that is right for you. So I ended up leaving and I was off for a while I was off for a while for work and it was odd because I'd never taken any time off but I had a chance to sort of figure out what made me tick like what I was into and what I wanted because I knew I'd made the wrong decision the last time and you know whether that was for money whether that was for an opportunity you have to figure out like what is it you want because if you don't make you know, whether your agents bring you an opportunity because they're, oh, it's going to be great or this and that, it has to speak to you. And I started doing some stand-up comedy in my time off, which was odd, but I'd been doing improv and some of my improv friends said, oh, you do, you're really good at doing monologues. You have some weird stories, like you should do stand-up. So I did that in my spare time and that was horrifying. It was awful, but it challenged me so much in how to think differently, how to write differently, and just forced me to keep like having a task every day. Like I, it gave me a reason to get up when I was really having a hard time figuring out what job I was going to have next. I, would able, I was able to get up in the morning, I'd write some stuff, I'd go to the gym, I'd come back, I'd work on it, and then I'd go to an open mic like every night to work on my stuff. And then I would go and perform every weekend. And it gave me a really great sense of, uh, of something to work on, but also gave me a really good high doing it. Like I felt like, okay, I have that fight or flight adrenaline feeling like I had on air. And it just gave me, it gave me that in the time off. And then, and then it opened up opportunities for me to kind of show people, you know, I'm not just a sideline reporter, but I'm someone that's really versatile. And I encountered many times in my career where people would say, you're not funny. Like you're not, you don't have an interesting opinion. You can't host a show. And I was like, no, I can do all those things like no you're just a sideline reporter which first of all is very condescending because sideline reporters work very hard that no one even sees but I was telling myself you got to show people if you want people to think you can do it you have to show them 
So once I did all that kind of stuff, I did a ton of meetings everywhere. I went to Super Bowl week by my, like on my own dime, met with everyone I could and kind of just started pitching myself as being able to be a host that can be a little bit different, a little bit eccentric, but isn't just someone that reports on the sideline. And that was when CBS Sports HQ offered me, offered me a job. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just like keep rambling right now, but worked with them, worked with The Athletic on a podcast and also worked with SNY who was doing a show which I still work on called The Thread and it was sort of like an irreverent different sort of like highly questionable on ESPN a little bit like first take but for almost a millennial audience and it sounds kind of lame to say that but it was fun and that was exactly what I wanted to do and so I have still been doing that now. And you're also doing um, Fubo uh with with a show that i actually not actually i really love uh for a whole host of reasons um call it both call it a night and drinks with binks how did uh, how did that come to fruition Mm -hmm. yeah so i guess like also last march when i started working at cbs sports hq fubo reached out to me and said hey we're going to do some sports content we'd really be interested in having you you know, be a sports host anchor and thought, all right, cool. I was keeping my mind open to everything. Met with them, really liked the head of the network, Pam Duckworth, who has worked at DirecTV for many, many years. And she's, she's very connected, knows everyone. And she just had a really great sense of, of life and energy to her. And I was like, you know, I really like this woman. And I think that I would want to work with her on something cool. And so it, it got to July of last year where they offered me my own show. And they're like, we want to give you this show, uh, you know, sports comedy, give you an opportunity to help create it, yada, 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 everything I wanted to hear. And at the time I was working with CBS Sports HQ, which was great, but it was, you know, much more of the standard sort of news anchor reporting. And at the time they were offering me a full-time job, which was really nice. And then Fubo was offering me this job. And my manager at the time, he was like, you have to, he's like, he started Arsenio Hall show. And he's like, anytime you're being offered your own show, you have to take it. He's like, there's, there's only going to be a couple times in your life this is going to happen. Take it now. Do it. This is exactly what you want to do. You can weave in comedy and sports and everything. And so I said, you know what, I, I will take it. And, and CBS totally understood. They're like, yeah, you know, go do it. And, 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 and we ended on a really, really nice note. But my manager actually ended up very sadly. He passed away like a couple of days after we did the deal, um, just sort of a very – randomly of acute pancreatitis so I feel in a way like he really gave me the the blessing to do this show and and really set me on like he almost like gave me all this parting wisdom of how to do it and then I feel him sort of like helping me with it because it's been very difficult and we do as you mentioned two shows one of them call it a night is just dark right now while we are going to build a new set and kind of revamp it and obviously we're not in a studio right now. We are in my house doing Drinks with Binks, which we shot on Monday with Trey Wingo and Kendrick Perkins. So we're going to be doing that from home right now. But I, it's a startup. Like, it's not a big network. It's new. So the pros of that are you get to be creative. You get to try new things. I get to have my hand in literally everything. I book guests. I produce. I write. Um, but in saying that, also, you you're not part of a big network. So you don't necessarily have all of the backing. You don't necessarily always have all the funding and you're kind of like the little engine that could, but you do get more stuff on air. Like you don't have to run by your jokes to upper management or not. You just say them and, or 
you know, we, we kind of go with it. So it's a little bit more fluid and I really enjoy it. So we are, you know, we're, we're clearly in a weird time now, but luckily because oddly, because I'm, you're not on live sports, you know, everyone was always like, be on live sports. Live sports will never go away. It's appointment viewing. And now we aren't with any live sports. So oddly enough, like the shows, the interview shows, the comedy shows, they're the place that you, you kind of are leaning into. So that's what we're trying to do now, just like everyone else, figure out what we can do in the next couple months. All right. So you can take a deep breath here for a second. I have to pay some bills. <laughs> so uh, while you're doing those shows, and while we're all hanging around the house, I thought I would tell you about a really cool LA-based company called True Classic Tees. Uh, really excited about them sponsoring our show. Uh, it's changing formal wear. It's, so style is changing, obviously. What is formal wear when nobody's going out? We're all back to wearing t-shirts all day, every day. Uh, as I said, they're LA-based. They're soft. They hold up in the wash. They're incredibly versatile. You can wear them out, not that you're going out. Uh, you can wear them to work, not that you're going to work, or around the house, which is what we're all doing now. Uh, they're really cheap. They're only 15 bucks, and now with this offer, you can get them for even less. Go to, I hope you're writing this down, trueclassictees.com and use the code BLEAV at checkout, and we'll give you 20% off. That's BLEAV at trueclassictees, plural, dot com. Uh, I love this one. Because with no sports going on, what exactly would people be betting on? Uh, there are still lots of options. Um, mixed martial arts, American Idol, which I don't know how they're going to do. I had to suffer through that last night. The elections, God, we all need to bet on the elections. The spelling bee, and yes, the quarter of a million dollar poker series. There's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. That's M-Y-P-O-D 100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, the fun never ends. And then last, but certainly not least, is one I use literally six or seven times a day. Uh, finding a job and staying connected is going to be a challenge uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, the perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. As you said, not only is the candidate finding the right fit, but as an employer, it's really critical too. There really is only one place to find the perfect hire, and that's LinkedIn. LinkedIn has over 675 million members. Uh, they job stream candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. They look beyond the work skills and put your job post in front of qualified candidates. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn. I, again, I use it literally six or seven times a day. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash team. Again, that's linkedin.com slash team to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply. Of course they do. Uh, so that's that. So I will tell you that uh, I listen to a lot of sports radio and I watch a lot of interview shows. And uh, you've conducted in the last year or so two of the best I've seen. And I'm not just saying that because uh, you're on my airwaves, so to speak. But let's start with this little nugget right here. Yeah, you've been in Adam Sandler movies. We've been in a sauna together. I got to tell you, I don't usually hear that on, a, uh, on any type of sports show. 
And let, let, let's hear where that discussion goes briefly. It's been a while. We had, clo we had clothes on <laughs> in the sauna. Yes. We did. Disclaimer. We did have clothes. And remember, who was it? Michelle Kwan was in yeah. there, the figure skater? Michelle Kwan, Chris Chelios, Che and Dan. It was, it was a great time. Uh, All right. So, critic here. In that, in that podcast, you say that you will discuss it later, but it never gets discussed later. So, Julie Banks- That's usually how I host my shows. I, <laughs> and so, we never so, get back to it. <laughs> so, so, Julie Banks-Stewart, Dan Patrick, Chris Chelios, who was the third person? There was someone else. It was Michelle Kwan. Are in a, are in a sauna, clothed. Uh, that is usually the start of a joke. So, let's hear the, the rest of the punchline. Yeah, I mean, it's- it, we were all at the Olympics in Sochi, and we, Dan, and Michelle Kwan, we were all working with FS1 at a gym. We had, like, this janky hotel that Fox built us, which was great, but it was in sort of the neighborhood of Sochi, which was not very uh, safe, as someone died, literally, like, down the street from us during the Olympics. Anyway. We, which is in Jay Onright's book, so it's already out there. But we would go to NBC's hotel, at the the Radisson Blue. We would use their gym, and we sort of had something set up, but I don't think we really did. I don't know. So I remember seeing uh, uh, Al Michaels and um, even Chris Collinsworth, you know, and Dan Patrick in the gym, and then they had this amazing sauna. And I mean, Russian baths, bathhouses like the. So it's like everything. And so we're in the song. And Dan was there. Peter Schrager, too, from Good Morning Football and Fox. And Chelios and Michelle Kwan would do Yogi Sauna. And that's like, that's like where I basically met Dan Patrick. And we've become friends since then. But it was, it was, you have all these big names and Olympics and we're all in the sauna together. So not really that exciting. That's just sort of a day in the life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, like, there's just not too many interviews that start off with that. Um, <laughs> it is one of the best interviews I've seen. Let's let's hear a little bit more. You, Julie sends me videos. Okay. She sends me pictures. Okay. Uh... She sends me. She sends me things that even her boyfriend Spike doesn't get. Okay, all right. Uh, so, and and I appreciate that. But I I marvel. I truly marvel that you you're a party favor. Wow. What what exactly? <laughs> that mean? And, and and you know your show is. Uh, I watch them on YouTube. Uh, you're you're wearing some um, some awesome pants in this video. And your face is the exact same color as the uh, the tartan pants right now. What what exactly does that mean that you're a party favor? Yeah, wearing my my red comedy tartan pants that I that I love. Um, Dan is Dan loves to by the way take control of the interview and make me feel weird. That's like that was his his strategy. But uh, when I was off work, I mentioned for a couple months, I went to like five bachelorette parties because I was off like, and I was still getting paid. So I was like, why don't I just do all these things? And so I would send Dan, not just him, but like photos from the bachelor party, nothing salacious, but like, oh, we're, we were in a beast, catamaran, we're campaign, the, the gallivanting around the world I was doing, having fun. So, uh, and I was a bit of 
conversation because I had often, I mean, I was, you know, it's still being a friend, but when you're getting paid still a full-time salary, like, why not? <laughs> enjoy the things that you don't ever get to enjoy. Uh, I developed a reputation for being down a bachelorette party which was true and so those the photos of whether you know we're on floaty toys or we're doing shotgunning beers like really all the all the stuff that you'd imagine I'd, I'd always just send it to him or just he'd get a kick out of it and and since then has always made fun of me in that way but it sounds a lot more risque than it actually was so, so, <laughs> so let, let's let's listen to one more clip from from that interview Sort of. no, the last people you want to go out with are fellow broadcasters. Because you know what happens? All they do is talk about themselves. Hey, I'll gr So I, I, I will tell you, like, as I said, I watch and listen to a lot of this stuff. Um, this interview that you do with Dan Patrick is one of the best I've seen in a very long time. And, and the folks at College of Sports Media and other places should use this as a teaching tool as to how to conduct it. And like, you both play your role so well. Uh, so, so, so do you agree with that? The worst people to go drinking with is broadcasters? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for the kind compliments. And I, I yield, if anyone watched this, you'll see I didn't really conduct it that well as I had to literally cut Dan off in the middle of his story because we had no more time left. And he got up and left the studio, which was hilarious. And obviously, good fun but uh, I think broadcasters I don't think that's necessarily true I think broadcasters are a lot of fun to go out with because a lot of broadcasters are you know they're always they're on the road we have really high intensity jobs and so when you have a couple drinks like sometimes it's a lot of fun and I remember covering the 2014 Stanley Cup playoffs for Fox Sports 1 in New York City and one night you know it's it's me it's Noodles it's Darren Dreger it's Anson Carter it's literally everyone from every different network together we all went out we all didn't think we had to work the next day and that was when Brandon Prescott suspended so we did have to work the next day which was really great but that's what you know media people know how to really um, rally right so I think they work hard I just think people talk a lot about broadcasting I don't necessarily think about themselves I think it's just like you know when you go you go out with someone after a show, you're, you're, you're going to talk about that show and be like, okay, because something will inevitably have either gone really wrong or really right. And so I remember after speaking on that note, after the 2017 MLS Cup, we went out in Toronto and I was pretty pumped because I was like, you know, Toronto didn't win. And obviously I'm a journalist, but it was, uh, it was a really thrilling to be on the sideline of a penalty shootout for a, for MLS Cup. And I remember everyone was sort of doom and gloom at, at the drinks afterwards at the, at the Amsterdam brewery. And I was like, what's going on? I know Toronto didn't win. Ha ha ha. But like, why is everyone so sad? And then someone told me, they're like, yeah, well, uh, you know, Julie, like, shut up. Like our, our broadcast missed the last penalty kick. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm like, well, that is something to be down, down in the dumps about just because we had a lot of bells and whistles and no one who is in broadcasting would even notice but it just was a little bit cut off. So, but that's the thing. It's like your work is really hard to leave your work behind if you're a broadcaster afterwards. So that's what I would agree with him on, but not that they talk about themselves all the time. So in my humble opinion, the second best, and it, it's not actually close, um, but I think the actual best traditional interview you did uh, sounded a little bit like this. 
you know, I think the, the problem is he should have stopped doing it a few years ago mm-hmm. because when you start to re- like, you know, the whole thing with grapes never knew anybody's name or he always mm-hmm. said the names wrong. But in the last couple of years, he said the names wrong because he was just like firing a little slower than usual. And it wasn't like part of the shtick. And I think when you get to that point, like, I don't know if you've seen Larry King yes. lately. Yeah. It gets to a point where it's like, you know, you had a good run. Right. And so that's your interview with, with, with Sean Avery. Um, mm-hmm. It's inc- like, it's uncomfortable to watch, um, but, <laughs> but, but really good. And I got to tell you, like, you handle it really well and you don't let them off the hook. Um, let's listen to this clip. If you hear the hockey talking heads are the worst because no one steps outside the box. They have nothing interesting to say that's actually warranted because they're all afraid of losing their job. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what they have to do because they were hockey players and there's nothing else to do. They've never taken any chances. So, so, so that's pretty... <laughs> and you sit there smiling and, and nodding your head. Uh, but then he takes us to a different place that I was not expecting. The CBC. And then now I Sportsnet. Mean, it's, yeah, CBC, it's on a different Sportsnet, network now. Right. Yeah. So Sportsnet. Like the, the only logical thing, and, and this is the reality, like if you ever want to create the friction that Don Cherry created on TV, the only person you could ever hire to do it is me. Bam. <laughs> Like, holy Mm -hmm. hell. (laughs) And he doesn't backtrack with his answers, but he doesn't really ever answer it. And you don't let him off the hook. Like, what is going through your mind when he says that? Well, I knew. um, So I had randomly asked him like the day before if he could do it, because we actually had a cancellation from someone. And uh, I think that was my friend. Either Keith Olbermann or my princess had canceled. And I thought, you know what, this is really relevant right now uh sean avery's been trying to pitch himself as the next don cherry i'm like i'll pander to his ego like hey you want to come on pitch while you should be him perfect boom he came in sean as you mentioned there he, he said a lot of things like oh there's nothing else they can do da 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 sean is a is um a contrarian by nature i believe and i sort of i allowed him to i, I gave him a long leash in some things that he said because i knew what i really i wanted to, i knew what i wanted to get out of him i didn't want to focus on nitpicking oh guys in hockey there's nothing else they can do okay that's we can talk about that you know sure a lot of guys there probably aren't things they can do but there other guys can and i but i really wanted to get to, to the crux of of what i wanted and i go over with my producers ahead of time i'm like this is what we need what do we need to get out of this interview we need to get something on don cherry we need to have this don cherry discussion we need to have a, a fighting discussion or like hockey fighting discussion that at all these different things and we'll warm our way into those points but for the Don Cherry one, I didn't let him off. And I forced him to tell us, like, okay, so the only one that could be is you. And I don't know if it was at that point. I think it was later on where I was like, okay, well, like, look to camera. Tell us, like, two to three things of why it should be you. And he's like, well, I don't think I'd actually do it. I'm like, okay, well, that's a bad place to start. But he was he, – he stuck to his guns on how – well, he actually took two different – two different roads because first he was like yeah you know he shouldn't necessarily you know there's a time where he shouldn't be on air right like in the Larry King vein but then he started to defend him which he hadn't online before so which did not let him off the hook 
at all. Yeah, and I, I wasn't expecting him to defend him because his his uh, online persona hadn't defended him. He was just like, I should be the next guy or whatever. So he was going after it. And the one thing I do regret saying is, or not saying was, at the end of sort of us, you know, I, I didn't let him off the hook on it. I felt very strongly about Grapes, you know, being let go and the fact that this was too many offensive things at the, you know, at, at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily this one thing. It was many different things. And I mentioned, especially as a female reporter, he didn't necessarily speak highly of women ever uh, for the most part. And I, at the end, he's like, well, you know, your grandparents, you know, they'll say things or like people will sort of speak out of turn, da, 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 da. And I wish I just told him, well, that's why they're not on TV. Like you can't say those things on television and be a part of one of the most influential long run, long-term running shows and not face repercussions for it. But I, you know, Sean and I actually haven't really talked after that interview. I felt, I mean, not because of anything bad. He's, he's kind of an enigma. If you notice, he's, he's very um, antagonistic. He's, 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 a, he's hard to describe, but he's good TV. He's just not necessarily, I just don't know if he would show up every day to do Don Cherry's job. Like, I think he'd be must watch TV. I just don't think he would necessarily take it as seriously as everyone else would take him seriously. So he was good to have on though. And that's, that's the kind of, my show is drinks with things and people would think, Oh, this is just call it, you know, we're just going to get wasted and yada, yada, yada. It's become like very serious, the shows. And we've broken news multiple occasions. Even this was picked up and we've had, Scott Pioli, vice president, former vice president of the Patriots, talking about Tom Brady, to Michael Smith from ESPN talking about being let go there, to Grant Wall talking about the SI layoffs, to um, who else have we had? Oh, Don Garber from MLS, the commissioner, talking about coronavirus. Like, our drinks would think, cause, because people maybe, you know, they come on thinking it's going to be this, like, fun, let loose type of thing, like, ooh, drinking, but then no one really drinks. And we end up just being sort of like Barbara Walters, like 60 minutes, which is something I do want to alter and change a bit. I do want it to have more of a fun vibe, but in the same vein, like we're having honest conversations without, okay, only 45 seconds to answer this question. You have 45 minutes. And when you have that much time, people are going to say interesting things. So I take my interviews really seriously. I had an amazing interview seminar at ESPN with John Sawatsky, journalist who really took I mean he's a Canadian he took his time with uh explaining so many different tactics strategies like for the most part every question I ask has has been carefully constructed if I do end up saying it properly um and he's helped me a ton and Adnan Burke noticed that when I had him on we broke news with Adnan as well and he's like oh yeah you took Sawatsky's seminar I can tell just by the way you ask your questions and so you know, there is a science to being able to get people to open up. And so I credit getting that from ESPN. So, yeah, we're, you know, we have fun. We're, we're trying to have a good time, but we also, you know, we're, we're trying to break some news too. Well, uh, I understand that part of the reason that nobody's drinking is that you tape the show early in the morning. <laughs> so if you yeah. want to get people drinking, I found through business. Trust me. Yeah. The only, the only way to get them drinking in the morning is do the show at an airport. Because no matter where you are, <laughs> people tend to drink at the airport before a flight. I uh, I actually yep. went, I once did an informal uh, I once did an informal poll sitting at an airport bar. Um, the lounges were closed, and I went there to grab a bite to eat at seven a.m. in Denver. And I I said to people like all the people around me, just I'm not 
I'm just curious as they're drinking Bloody Marys, vodka tonics, and beer at 7 a.m. Like, why are you guys drinking? And do you know what the number one answer was? What? It, it shocked me. They're all nervous flyers. It takes the edge. Yeah, off. I could they, see that. Yeah. They weren't getting blitzed because them. they were going on vacation. They were really anxious about getting onto an airplane, and that's how they took the edge off. Hmm. Um, yeah, we've but, uh, we well, we shot yesterday later in, in the afternoon, and Trey Wingo and I had uh, had a drink because now everyone's at home, and it's sort of like, well, yeah, sure, I guess I would have a drink right now. Like, why not? Uh, which is probably not good for our health, but. Yeah, I hear you with that. We're we're gonna we're figuring it out. That's the nice thing with having a show that's also not on a major network right now is that you can kind of uh, take some time to finesse it in a way too. So what? Uh, so what is your drink? I always drink whatever the guest drinks. So. But if you are going out with your friends and you're going to a bar, what is your drink? Um, depends. Like I've always, um, you know, I like wine a lot, but I love whiskey sours. So I'd probably do a whiskey sour. I can't do any of this vodka water, vodka tonic stuff. It just makes me feel sick. So I do that or I just do like a Bud Light. Not really that creative, but that's, that's <laughs> how she goes. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, you should try Sincoro tequila. It's, uh, owned, okay. by, owned by Michael Jordan and others. Uh, the bottle is really, nice. really beautiful, but the tequila is delicious. Uh, C-I-N-C-R-O. It, it's really, really good. Um, you're, those shows that you do, are they're awesome. Seriously. Um, Thank you. The one, the, the one with Dan Patrick and, and Sean Avery are the best two that I've seen. I watch them on, um, on YouTube. I don't know if this is your advertiser or it's the YouTube advertiser, but the master class ads that they show. <laughs> Have you seen these ads? Uh, I've seen them on Facebook. I haven't seen them on those though. They're, no. they're like really beautifully done. Uh, and they look really <laughs> cool. Uh, like having Gordon Ramsay uh, or Aaron Sorkin teach you a class is, is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear the ads are good. They are. Well, I, I've given enough. Ads suck to sit through, so yeah. Well, there is a button that says skip them, and I've actually watched a couple of the ads in completion. But the content's really good. Um, keep 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 them coming. We really like seeing them. Um, Thank you. Again, it, it, it's drinks with Binks. You can Google it and, and and up there you can subscribe on YouTube as well. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. This is this has really been fun. As I said, um, I think it's a great story uh, coming out of Toronto making it in the U.S., paying your dues in, in places like Regina is a great story. And uh, I really hope that, that uh, people, especially young people, want to get into the business. And I really hope it, it's important that they continue to want to get into the business. Look, mm -hmm. at, your story, look at your story and inspired to, uh, to, keep, to keep up the hard work and be willing to take chances. And, and, and maybe you have to be a little bit persistent and you got to piss a little people off uh to be demanding to get where you want to go but I, I i think it's a great story well i appreciate that and i think that the other thing i would say is that you know it, it's it's nothing is set in stone like there are so many ups and downs there's so many curveballs coming at you nothing is guaranteed so you know you see right now some of the biggest stars and the biggest names at espn and fox and beyond like you know people are getting laid off and people's contracts aren't getting renewed and you have to be able to like take that and understand like just because you get a job somewhere doesn't mean you have a job there forever. And so that kind of like, I think that that, 
I have that hustle mentality and sometimes like to a fault I have it, but where um, you can never, never stop putting your foot on the gas. And that might be more of like also a Canadian mentality too of like, you know, you feel a little bit like the, the younger brother to the big brother in the States of like, okay, wow, I made it down here. I, I can never sort of let up. And, you know, I've, I mentioned I've made wrong decisions along the way, but as long as you, you know, you figure out what the right decision is at the end of the day and you, you work hard, you, you learn new skills. Like, as, you know, as you know, the industry is changing so rapidly. And right now, everyone, you know, people on NBC, the Today Show are doing their show the exact same way I'm doing my show on Bobo TV. So I hope people during this time take the opportunity to just like create and do something different because who knows what it'll look like when this is all said and done because people will be trying to cut costs on studio spaces and huge contracts and all that kind of stuff. And if you can show, you can, you can create it all on, on a budget, on a dime, you know, it's not even a dime, you can just do it. Then and that's, you'll be ahead of the game. So yeah, so I just want people to know that it's, a never ending journey and process and you got to enjoy it and you got to have fun doing it too. Well, I think it's great. Um, the show again is drinks with Binks. Uh, when sports is on, you can see her pretty much everywhere at every major sporting event. She's playing some type of role. And, uh, I hope you stay Corona free. I hope your move goes well. And yes, I, hope, you too, uh, Jonah. <laughs> I hope we can have you come back uh, another time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Sorry I rambled so much. Uh, no. My career's been quite quite a mishmash. <laughs> oh, good. I, uh, again, happy move, happy Corona, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the sideline soon. Okay. Thanks so much, Jonah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.